All right, I'm going to try to start on time for, for once in my life here as it's 9 o'clock, and we'll go ahead and open up with a word of prayer as we have a lot to cover here. I'll do my best not to do too much like I did last week, uh, and I'll try to hopefully continue to improve as we go on here. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, we ask, Lord, that as we again consider our bodies and the emotions that you've given to us, that you would give us wisdom, discernment, understanding, and how to relate to our own emotions, which we are often so confused about. Would you help us, Lord, not to see our bodies as something bad or negative or something to be hated, but as something that was created good by you and, and are meant to be used for your glory. I pray that you would help us to relate better to our emotions and the emotions of others. And as we see the goodness of emotions and their proper place, uh, that we'd be used by you to, to worship you fully and, and, and with all of our expressions um, in a way that truly makes much of Christ. So help us to do this as we seek to help others. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless even now our class time together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We covered a lot last week, so I thought it would be fitting just to briefly recap, um, in case you weren't here, what we missed last week. Uh, but we covered where our emotions come from, uh, which begins with both our body and our mind, right? It comes from our body. Our emotions come out of our bodies, but they also come from our minds and our perceived uh, perception of reality. And then we also looked at um, our emotions and, that, and what they do. What our emotions do. We covered like four very broad things of what our emotions do. And the first is that they show us what we value and love, right? We get emotional about the things that we care about, the things that we deeply love and are moved by. We can't help but be moved emotionally. And so they, they show us what we value and love and what our hearts are really set on. And then we also learn that emotions motivate us to action. Fear, anger, sadness, all of us is meant to motivate us to action, and to really turn us toward God. Uh, we covered a lot of things very briefly and generally as we were looking at the purpose of emotions. And then we, we ended really by looking at our emotions kind of like streams of paint, right? Streams of paint entering into our bucket of what we're feeling in the here and now. And so what we're going through, our past, our present, is all feeding into that bucket of what we're feeling right now. The thousands of things we're going through feed into what we're feeling today. And so we should look at our emotions then like that, as streams of paint flowing in and coloring what we're feeling now. They're mixed emotions. It's like a mixed paint bucket. And so rather than dealing with our emotions in oversimplified ways uh, by simply squashing them, or, or focusing on them intensely and being overwhelmed by them, uh, we're instead trying to unravel them one by one, right? We wanted to end practically, I, I kind of cut short, but we wanted to end last week practically by asking the question, what am I feeling right now? What am I feeling? Am I feeling glad? Okay, great. Why? Why am I feeling happy or glad? Am I sad? Why am I sad? What's contributing to this feeling of sadness in my life? Am I fearful? Am I anxious? Am I envious? Am I, am I jealous? Am I discontent? What is feeding in to our bucket of our emotions? What are the reasons behind them? And often the case is we just ignore this question completely, right? We want to oversimplify. We want to just squash them and not think about it. Or we're just completely overwhelmed, and we can't even parse them apart. And so we wanted to end last week by just asking that basic question, what am I feeling, and, and then breaking that down. Gladness, happiness, mad, fearful, anxious, and just asking, getting behind the reason for our emotions. And that's how we begin to untangle them. So we covered a lot last week, and we want to take these things to God in prayer. We want to share this with others, especially if we're struggling, those whom we, we trust and know. And it's in this way, again, that we're beginning to unravel the emotions in our life. So this brings us then to today's lesson, Understanding Emotions Part 2. So again, we're kind of in the introductory level part of this. We're not going to get into the practical of engaging our emotions right away. But for today, we're going to take some time to recognize the biological side of our emotions. We covered last week that they, they come from our mind. They come from our bodies. But we didn't get into that at all. But today, we're going to look briefly emotions happening in our physical bodies here today. Afterwards, we'll look at how emotions are meant to connect us to others and God himself. 
And then finally, we'll briefly look at why we can't control our emotions as we would like to, right? We can't just demand that we feel a certain way and boom, we're suddenly happy or joyful. And so these are the three things uh, that we're going to look at here today, beginning with our body and, and our emotions that come from it. But any, any questions about maybe the past week or anything you've been thinking about during the week before we dive into these things? All right. We have a lot to cover, so we'll go ahead and jump right into this. Emotions, then, happen in the body. I think it goes without saying, but what we feel emotionally impacts our bodies physically. It just does. What you feel impacts your body directly. So responding with emotion literally causes a physical reaction in your skin, in your brain, and in your blood. And so as you look maybe at a photograph of the past, right? It can reach deep down into your soul, and it can make your heart pound. It can make you feel things, and you actually have a physical reaction. Or when someone says something very beautiful, right, or inspirational, something that just hits you out of nowhere, it can give you the, the goosebumps, right? It's causing a physiological reaction in your body. So we can see it in a positive way, but also a negative way as well. When people experience stress, it can impact their bodies negatively severely, right? They can get massive headaches. They can get gut pain. They can have trouble sleeping. And our bodies then really act as a billboard to display your emotions really to you and to the whole world, what you're feeling. Your bodies are telling you what you're feeling and displaying it. And so whether it's, you know, frowns, right? You're frowning or you're smiling, or, or you, you, you have tears streaming down your face, to just sweating, racing heartbeat, uh, spiking body temperature, you know, clenched jaws, uh, tense shoulders. Our bodies are constantly announcing to the world and others uh, the condition, really, of what we care about and what we love. Our bodies are announcing that, what we care about and what we love and our relationship to that thing. So we recognize again here that the emotions we feel affect us physically. And it often reveals what we love and what we care about. Okay, that's a general statement. Not always true, but generally true. Changes in our physical bodies can also have an impact on our emotions. So just as we can feel something impact our physical bodies, so changes in our physical bodies impact our emotions. Um, I think we've all experienced this in, in some shape or form, right? You're happily going about your day. Maybe you're going to the kitchen to, to get a snack. And, and what happens? You, you maybe stub your toe on the corner of, of a table or something, right? Or you step on a Lego, or your head hits a cabinet door. Like, if, you know, you, it's amazing. You're going about, you're joyful, you're happy. Then in an instant, you are just angry, right? You're frustrated. You're like, what in the, you know, what in the world? I found that <laughs> happens to me more than I like to admit. Um, and so there's like a number of things where something happens to your body, and all in an instant, your mood is just changed completely, right? You're filled with anger, rage. Maybe someone cuts you off and, and just, your body blows up, like, whoa, that was dangerous, and now I'm angry and fearful. And so I think it's easy for us to see that our bodies are constantly responding, displaying emotions, whether at our own clumsiness or the consideration of others. Now, I think it's, it's easy for us to potentially think of all the negative ways our bodies can affect our emotions. Uh, but this doesn't mean that our body is always a problem. I think that's where we inherently go all the time. Our bodies are a problem. But we need to remember first that our bodies were created good in the beginning. They were created good in the beginning. And it's easy for us as Christians to forget this reality that God created our bodies and our emotions good. We only focus on the bad things. Um, again, I want us to remember this, start here, because even as we mentioned last week, Christians tend to have an uneasy relationship with our physical bodies, right? They have an uneasy, uneasy relationship with the body. Uh, most Christians are, are suspicious of desires and feelings that come from our bodies, and this is understandable. It's completely understandable, right? 
um, we've all been sluggish getting out of bed, right? We, we, we want an extra cookie when we shouldn't. We want things that are bad for us. Um, there are physical temptations that we know are bad and wrong that come from our bodies. And our bodies often desire the wrong things and get us into trouble. And so while we are right to be suspicious, suspicious of our bodies and the way that they can tug us away from God into sin, um, it's equally important for us to remember that our bodies are created good. It was God's idea for us to have a physical body with emotions. He pronounced it good like the rest of the created order. So having emotions that come with a physical body is not a product of being sinners, okay? It's not the product of sin. Instead, God made us to experience emotions and to desire and to emote. This was all God's idea. And so we don't look at emotions or certain emotions as just negative and wrong right away. The problem is not that your body has emotions. The problem is that your body, like your, like your soul, has been affected by sin and has been tainted by sin in our emotions. So at our, at our starting point, then we need to again recognize our bodies are created good, and the physical experience of emotions is good. And this also includes the negative emotions we experience as well. But then we recognize that bodies go wrong, right? They can go terribly wrong, and I think this is what we are more or less familiar with all the time in our experience. So there are at least three ways that we want to look at that our bodies can go wrong in, in our sin-filled world, our tainted emotions. First, we find that our bodies can go wrong as we experience emotions too fast or too slowly. Um, in severe trauma, cases maybe you guys have witnessed with someone that you you love um, the body can go through shock to dampen pain decrease blood flow and turn off non-vital functions and so sometimes your emotions essentially shut down in the face of perceived loss or threat for your good this is what often happens when a woman seems surprisingly fine right in the immediate aftermath of losing her husband tragically right a woman who has her husband just die out of nowhere seems okay for the moment as she, as she cares for her children, as she organizes funeral details, as she shows up for work, but then, and then she just completely melts down nine months later, right? Our emotions can come on slowly to help us navigate and survive to get through the next day. But then emotions can also come on way too fast. And this can be a good thing as well. So, for instance, if your child stepped into the street, what happens? You immediately have fear. You have anxiety. You are out there in the middle of the street dragging your child back to safety. Your emotions come on really, really fast and in, in an intense way that catapults you forward to keep your child safe. And if your emotions were to respond very slowly in that circumstance, that would be a problem. That would be a massive problem. And so the good love for your child leads you to fear for their safety in a lightning-quick way to protect them. But sometimes, these lightning-quick reflexes like that come on too fast in the wrong situations. They're there to help us in those dangerous situations, but sometimes they're developed in the wrong situations. So a trivial trigger, like a, like a certain smell that reminds you of like a terrible thing that happened to you in the past, or like cars shifting lanes too quickly, or, or the face or the voice of, of an abuser can, can trigger intense response that are, that are lightning quick and that are unhelpful in the wrong situation, right? Uh, these, these triggers are often developed over time in response to severe or, or chronic suffering. And it can all happen, it can happen to all of us, even in lesser forms. Our bodies, when given practice, learn to activate red alert flags at the slightest sign of that same thing happening, right? And it does this so that we might be protected and survive that perceived threat or danger so it doesn't happen to us again. So think the most common illustration we're probably all thinking of of this is PTSD, soldiers in combat, right? There's, there's a trigger, a loud noise, sound, and what are they doing? 
They're hitting the ground. They're, they're covering. They're, they've been so trained by their bodies to react in a lightning quick way for their own safety that now even when they come back right out of war, they haven't really come back at all. They're still thinking they're in that dangerous situation. Another example would be children who come from abusive homes. They often develop lightning quick triggers for self-protection so that they're not harmed, right? Maybe you've known a kid like this. I've had several friends, but like a glass of water spills or milk or something like that, and they are just terrified out of nowhere. They're scared. And you're like, they they just react, and they just like want to run and hide. And you're like, what happened? Well, they've been trained over and over again. When something like that happens, their bodies just involuntarily react. They're fearful of being punished. Or, or abused or something in such a situation. Okay, so these are, these are extreme examples, right? On one side, and you're like, what does that have to do with me? I think at the same level, even on a lesser scale, we too develop certain physical reactions to certain scenarios, and we don't, we're not even aware that it's happening in our bodies. Like, why did I react that way? Well, it's made for, so for example, say a person is like, a pastor is being criticized every Monday for their sermon, by a certain individual every single week, right? Now suddenly out of nowhere, he's checking his email, he gets a new one, he freaks out, right? Like, I just got an email. I have no idea what it is, but he's being trained. Like, I'm under attack, and now my body is reacting to that physically. Like, there's that trigger. And so even with our own lives, we we develop these triggers that we have to be aware of in our life, these patterns. And sometimes it can be good, it can be helpful, Uh, But often, it can also get in the way of actually moving forward and and being part of the solution. So I'm just trying to make us aware of these things biologically. Um, Another example would be in marriages, marriages who are struggling, marriages that often lead to divorce. Um, There's these patterns of behaviors where we have point A happen in our conflict. You said something, and then that always leads to B, and that B point leads to C, And eventually this pattern of behavior in this conflict of marriage happens so often that immediately A happens and they go straight to Z and there's like this explosion. And at the outset it seems completely irrational, but the body has developed that pattern of reacting so often that you go from point A to Z in a moment of time. And so we just have to be aware that when we see people react intensely, emotionally, just out of nowhere, there's probably a reason, there's a pattern behind it it's likely a defense mechanism gone wrong. And we may all have them to lesser degrees. Okay, so bodies can go wrong by emotions coming on too fast or too slow, but also too long or too short in their duration of their stay. I think we wish sometimes our emotions would linger way longer. Uh, For example, Think about the last time you were inspired to to clean up your office, right? Clean up your office or the fridge or, you know, do that one project that's been on the back burner for a long time. And and in the moment, you like, you're inspired, right? Like, I'm going to do that and I should do that. But then our emotions lose momentum and you get distracted and you say, maybe later, right? So it's too short. These emotions that are good, sometimes they don't last long enough. So we find that emotions like compassion, hope, and encouragement are difficult to sustain. Compassion often gives out before we take the needed steps to alleviate the suffering in someone else's life. Okay, too short. We don't persevere in that emotion. And on the, on the flip side, right, they sometimes stay way too long in our bodies. Whether it's anger or fear or irritation, it, it lingers in our veins Uh, after someone says something annoying to us, or after a near miss with another car on the road. We've all had experiences where our hearts are still pumping harder than normal after a sudden scare, and even though we're not in danger any longer. And so sometimes our body gets stuck in stress mode, even though the reasons for stress have have subsided. And we just have to be aware of our bodies and when this is happening, too long or too short. And then finally, too much or too little emotion. The intensity with which our emotions come on is also a factor. And for some people, when these emotions hit, they hit incredibly hard. Intense anxiety in one moment gives way to towering rage, 
and then back into despair all over the course of maybe like an hour or something like this. And it might be triggered by like a minor incident. And for whatever reason, again, our bodies can sometimes be accustomed just to, just to spraying out emotions like a fire hose whenever the spigot is just turned on. Just, it just sprays out. And it can happen for a variety of reasons. And so whether it's pure joy or pure depression, uh, the body can't regulate. And it's important for us to, to be aware of these things that can happen within our bodies. And so our bodies can go wrong. And we need to recognize that your body is constantly sending signals to your soul about how the world is going. And so these messages then become significantly problematic uh, when they get pressed too hard. So I don't know if you've ever been like typing on your computer or something and a key gets stuck right in the down position and this like W all the way across Microsoft Word or something like that. It gets stuck down. And our emotions, when they get pressed too hard, our bodies, I should say, our bodies, when they get pressed too hard, they can get stuck in the down position. And I've seen this happen many times to patients in the psych ward. And it can happen to us so we can get stuck and we need help to get out of it. And so too much emotion or too little as well. And if we're not feeling anything as well, uh, those are typically serial killers. Uh, but that's also a problem where they have no empathy for others. Okay, so I feel like we spent a lot, a lot more time than I should have on, th on these three points. But as we talk about the body and its influence over our emotions in these ways, whether too fast, too slow, too long, too short, too much, too little, I think the question we all should have is what should we do in response, right? What do we do when we are aware of these things? I think we should do probably what God does and what his, his example that he sets forth. And we find one example in 1 Kings 19.6 with Elijah. Elijah has just won a massive victory and he has just won a great war against uh, Baal's prophets. And he's fleeing and he's exhausted, he's tired, and, and, and he is just done. And what does God do for him? He provides food and sleep for him. He cares for Elijah's body. He takes care of him. He doesn't just say, Elijah, get your act together. I can't believe you have no faith here. He takes care of his body first, right? That's what he does. First Kings 19.6. And then after he's cared for and he's, he's gotten enough sleep and his body's been provided for, then God works to get to his soul. And I think that kind of has to be the model here, too. Sometimes we're so quick to just immediately go straight to the spiritual problem, right? Rather than seeing that there's a biological problem that maybe needs to be addressed first. Whether it's, it's sleep or one of these pressing issues. We take care of the body first, then we can move forward, even as God does for us. So, practically speaking, what does that mean? If you are being impacted or another person you're trying to help is severely impacted... And they can't even function, okay? Like, I know a lot of people like this, especially in this day and age, it's just so much more prevalent. Encourage them to see a medical doctor, right? Get the biological checked out to make sure that there isn't something major here um, that we're completely missing. So whether it's overwhelming stress or depression, debilitating grief or insomnia, or other conditions that make functioning as a human terribly difficult, see a doctor. Start there. Get that crossed off. And, and while everyone's situations may be different, talk with a pastor too. Maybe say, hey, should I see a doctor? And we'll probably say, yeah, you probably should. Um, it, it doesn't hurt to get this crossed off, especially here where, where it's so, so prevalent all around us, uh, the hospitals. So after doing that, right, there are other practical things. Maybe you, you're like, I don't need to see a doctor, but I am feeling pretty overwhelmed right now. There are a lot of things we can do. First, I would encourage you, if it's anxiety or fear that you're wrestling with, utilize breathing exercises with prayer. Seriously, regulate your bodies by taking deep breaths in and, and praying. Regulate the body through proper breathing exercises. There's so many studies that show how unbelievers regulate their bodies in this way, and they're just taking what God has given us and, and utilizing it for their good, and so can we. So as silly as this might sound to some of you, uh, regulate your bodies with deep breathing exercises, deep breath in, deep breath out, praying, and then help your children to learn how to do this too. I've done this with my children, and they're just like 
out of control. Like, just can't control their emotions. And I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's breathe together, regulate the bodies. And after they do that, then they can hear what I'm saying. So take care of the bodies. This is proven technique. It's not going to fix everything. Uh, but it is a one tool that we have in our belt. Another one, again, for those of us who can do this, physical exercise is one of the most underrated, underutilized anti-anxiety medication. If you have anxiety or deep fear or depression, exercise. Studies over and over and over and over again show how helpful it is to lower anxiety and stress and fear. So this is another way that we can care for our bodies. It releases stress hormones that our bodies can't otherwise release. And then again, some other practical things you are other, otherwise aware of. Monitor what you eat and drink if it's affecting you emotionally severely. Uh, for me, as of late, I've, I've had to do this, I've had to do, pay much closer to attention to this, but I've had to severely cut back my caffeine intake because it was causing me, out of nowhere, just anxiety. It never did before, but now it's like, why am I so anxious? And it's, I was drinking too much caffeine. So <laughs> I've had to cut back way on that, and it's helped me immensely. But then also be aware of vitamin deficiencies during certain times of the month. In Minnesota, many people suffer from seasonal affective disorder, where they're not getting enough vitamin D. My family is one of them. And because of that, I've also had to start taking vitamin D, and it's helped me immensely to take care of my body in that way. Um, so again, pay attention to what you're taking in, what you're drinking, um, and then make adjustments to help you with that. And so again, while it hasn't cut out all the depression and anxiety I feel in January and February, which are the hardest months for me, it has helped significantly. And then of course, last but not least, regulate, if you can, regulate your sleep schedule. And again, this has been proven to help immensely if you can get your bi biology on a certain clock, 10 to 6 every day, you will do much better than if it's all over the place. And again, consult a doctor if you're struggling with like doing these things, um, and talk with your pastors if, if you have more questions um, about this. But, but any questions on this first part, bodies going wrong? This will be the bulk of what we talk about. Yeah, we just skip it. Mm -hmm. Right. You just have a thinking problem. You just don't love the right thing. And it's like we totally skip the bodies going wrong, and this is a healthy place to start. Yeah. yeah. Just want to remind us. I think most of us are aware of some of these things, but just, again, start here. And, again, it shows love and care for a person before just, just assuming that you know exactly what's going on with them. Okay. So our bodies go wrong, first thing that we cover. Now we want to talk about relating to others through emotions. We understand the biological component a little bit more, but now we want to talk about how our emotions help us to relate to others and God, how we connect to others. And by connecting, I'm talking about sharing our hearts with one another in a deep and meaningful way that draws us closer to each other. So again, I'm not talking about merely understanding how another person feels but by genuinely entering in to the other's emotions with them and engaging with them in this caring way. <clears throat> so as we consider the scriptures, in relationship to this concept, we really should pay attention to the body of Christ imagery that Paul gives us over and over and over in his letters. Again, we all are aware of this. We've heard this growing up in the church. I'm looking around. You guys all know this. But we're one body in Christ, right? The physical body of Christ. And so we're intricately linked together. We're members of one another. And so if one member of our body part hurts, everyone suffers with that hurt part. And if one member of our body is honored, we all rejoice with that person. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians 12, 26. And while this observation is simple, we need, to, we need to let it sink in to the core of our being because to relate to one another as God would have us to means that we need to be fully engaged in the experiences of others around us. So again, when one person is honored, we're rejoicing with them. 
And if another person is suffering and in pain in this body of Christ, the church, we hurt with them. And so we need, again, let the imagery of our body shape this reality for all of us. Okay, so again, um, <clears throat> you smash your finger in a door, right? Or, or, or a drawer or something like that. You don't look at your finger and you contemplate, hmm, I wonder if I should feel pain right now. You just feel pain, right? You experience it immediately. You don't have to think and say, oh man, I really should try to feel pain. You just do because you care about your finger. And just because it's a small thing, it doesn't matter. It's still important. And you bring your full body to console your finger, whether it's like sucking on it or holding it like this, right? You are one flesh with your finger. You care about it. You enter into its experience. You feel it. And in the same way as we are members of one another, as, ba- as Paul puts it, we're to love one another in this way, to care for each other in this deep, meaningful way. And so when someone is hurting in our assembly, do we connect with their pain and jump to their aid? And when others are happy, do we rejoice in that happiness as one body of Christ? And I think it's likely for all of us to, to grow in this area. And, and perhaps for some of us, we don't even know where, where to begin with this. Right? How do I actually relate, relate to others' three emotions as, as Paul seems to call us to? Like, how do we even do this? And if this is you, then I just want to offer all of us here a few suggestions here this morning. How do we relate to others through emotions? First, I want to encourage us to start by cultivating, okay, cultivating a curiosity about what other people around you are feeling. Some of you, Ruth, I'm looking at you particularly, you don't have, you just do this naturally. You are one of the most caring people about how people are feeling, just naturally. Others of us, like myself, thinking emotions were wrong, inherently bad, I never went here, okay? I just wouldn't do it at all. But if we care about people genuinely, we need to have a curiosity about what people are feeling. And as you begin to orient yourself this way, uh, you'll notice emotions in people all the time. And when there's a surprising change in someone who's like outgoing, and now they're suddenly like reserved and pulled in, you take that moment to care for you. You ask, hey, what's going on? You're normally like the most joyfully bubbly person ever. Like, Tim, you are like one of the most joyfully bubbly people ever. If there's something like you're not that way, I'm coming over to you. Hey, brother, what's going, how are you doing? What's going on? You know, we, we notice how people generally are. We pay attention to their emotions. And then we, we, we experience it with them. We ask how they're doing in that way. We cultivate curiosity. Now, sometimes it may not be appropriate to ask that question. And so if that's the case, put yourself then in the other person's shoes, right? Try to imagine what they might be feeling, what they might be going through. Enter in in this way. And you might be wrong. You might be completely wrong, right, about what the other person is feeling. But it's a starting point, right? It allows you to relate to them with love and care. And you're trying to see from their vantage point. Again, focus on the other person rather than yourself. I think we all struggle here especially. We're self-conscious creatures. And we struggle with, with worrying about what the other person's thinking about me. Am I feeling as connected as I should be? Am I being responsive enough? And so on and so forth. But instead, we need to work, as, work to focus on the other person and invite them to, to share what they are feeling. And then we don't fight the discomfort that might come. Some of us are terribly uncomfortable with emotions and feelings, but we don't fight that. We allow it to happen as they express what they're feeling. Because fourth, as we remember here, emotions communicate what and how much we value something, right? Emotions, in a sense, are like a relational price tags that communicate the value we place on things. And so the more we value something, the more we will experience emotions related to that thing, both good and bad. So the emotions we experience um, about other people communicate what they mean to you. And so when a person makes you happy or sad, angry, your emotions are expressing what and how much they mean to you. So the more you love a person, the more likely you will feel emotions toward that person exactly because of how much you love and care for them. You have more potential to be more angry with the person you love 
than a person you don't care about at all. We feel more towards people we deeply love and care about. And we want to, to allow that to be, to be shared among us. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone should or can express emotions in the same way, okay? We're not looking for cookie-cutter Christians here who all have the exact same emotional responses. We're different. We're different. And so a shy introvert may be sharing more openly in three brief sentences about a personal struggle than an extrovert who talks for an hour about the highlights and lowlights of the week, okay? So the goal isn't for us to be like cookie-cutter Christians here with a specific formula response, The goal is, instead, honest vulnerability about the things that are truly in your heart and sincere interest and empathy for others around us. So I want to take a moment here then just to talk about the issue of connecting, especially in marriage. Um, this, this, This issue here is often brought up in marital counseling all the time, and so I think it's worth just mentioning here. Um, It's often that one spouse will say this classic phrase. You'll see it on Hallmark movies all the time too, right? They just say, I just don't feel loved, you know? I just don't feel loved. And then the other spouse, what will they do after the spouse tells them, I just don't feel loved? They'll say, what? Look at all the things I do, right? They'll give a list of the way that he or she loves the other person through gift giving, vacations, how, how that person brings income to the family, how they help raise children, and so on and so forth. Um, But in reality, when a person says, I just don't feel loved, um, what they're often referring to is is actually this connection piece that we've been talking about, the being connected emotionally, entering in to the experience of the other. And when there's a failure to share experiences from the heart with others around us, not only do we feel like the other person doesn't love us, but we feel disconnected, don't we? We don't feel like we're really connecting with the people around us, and that's a problem. So we need to fight against that. Uh, Just to put forth one more example of this, you know, imagine how you would feel if your spouse or significant other professed wholehearted love for you, right? And they handed you like a, a dozen roses or a new watch, but they did it all with like a mechanical voice, right? And with like a look of total disinterest. Like, how would you feel, right? You would wonder whether or not your spouse or your significant other actually meant a word that they said, right? There's no emotion there. And so you're questioning, do you actually mean that? Uh, Probably not. I think it would communicate apathy, right? Or maybe manipulation. And so while emotions are not, okay? While emotions are not at the center of what love is, They are a critical way of expressing love and connecting with others all around us. And when we are able to do this effectively with the people we love and care about, it opens so many doors to actually help the person we care about. So we need to learn how emotions help us draw us together, how we love one another, share experiences together, and not block ourselves off from that, but lean into it appropriately. And in this way, we can share a deeper love for each other and feel connected together as one body in Christ. Any questions on this point? All right. Just for the record, I feel like our church is doing pretty good on these points. But again, I think we can always grow in these ways. And I've seen us relating to others. I've seen people crying with others in this church over over things. and I, I am encouraged by that, but I just want us to put forth plainly and evidently what we're going for and keep aiming for that goal. All right, final point here. <clears throat> we're going to go with that question that we've all been asking at one point or another. Why can't I control my emotion? Why is it so hard? I think we've all had experiences where we felt trapped by certain emotion, right? Whether guilt, sadness, anger, numbness, Envy, regret, despair, bitterness. All of it can like pin us to the ground at times, right? It just just pins us to the ground. We're stuck. It's washing over us, and we just can't get out. So why is this? Why do we feel like our emotions are controlling us rather than the other way around? Why can't we just simply tell our brains, just feel differently, and then like our bodies just do that? Like why can't we? Why didn't God make us that way? 
<clears throat> These questions are not new, and the writers of the Bible experience the frustration of trying to feel different, but finding that their emotions just don't listen and don't come at their beck and call. Psalm 42 is one serious example of this reality, and one of the clearest examples. I think we all know that, that, that first verse, like, really well, you know, um, as he writes, as, you know, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, that passage that we're pretty aware of. But we often forget that the rest of the psalm is spent wrestling with his emotions. He continues to wrestle with his emotions, his depression, his anxiety, his fears. And he says twice over, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And so he fights to remember the good things God has done for him. And he urges himself to find hope in God. But his feelings seem to stay stuck despite his effort to change them. But just because there's no immediate change in his feelings doesn't mean that he's doing anything wrong here or that his fight is pointless. Instead, it means that he's a human in a broken world and unless something changes outside, you know, it's going to be very difficult then for his emotions to change. And so rather than selecting our emotions from a menu, right, of ways to feel like, you know, I take an order of joy today, uh, God gave us emotions that, generally speaking, are actually designed not to change unless what we love changes or what, ha what is happening to the thing we love changes, okay? We, we need to make sure we get this point. We've talked about the biological component. But in addition to that, we need to realize our emotions don't change unless what we love changes or what is happening to the thing we love changes. Now, this is counterintuitive for our society at large, and we need, we need to grasp this. But we want to grasp that our emotions most often flow out of our loves, what we love. And we love a lot of things. Again, unless there's something wrong with us biologically, okay, with that preface. So, for instance... Your best friend calls you, right? You have a best friend, and they say, hey, you know that job that I applied for that I didn't think I had a chance for? Well, guess what? I just got that job. And so how, how do you respond as a person for your best friend? You're, you're excited, right? You're elated. You're joyful. You rejoice with them because this is your best friend that we're talking about, right? And, and you love them, and you're happy that good things happen to them. You just rejoice. It just happens, and so God made us to feel excitement and joy instantaneously without even thinking of, of other options on the table based in relationship to what we love. And so because you love your friend, the emotion of joy and excitement overflow into your being because you love and care about them, right? And for a second example, you know, your phone rings, uh, but this time it's bad news, right? Your brother was in a car wreck. And now, and now he's in a medevac chopper on the way to the nearest hospital. And they're not sure he's going to make it, and so they say, get over here as fast as you can. And again, out of love and care for your brother, what are you doing? You, you feel anxiety. You, fear, you feel fear immediately, and you rush to the hospital in the middle of the night for them at like a, 100 miles per hour, right? And in such moments, no amount of willpower is going to make you feel calm as you accelerate down that road to care for your brother who's about to pass away. And, and sure, there's, on some level, you might not feel, you know, you might not like that terrible knot in the pit of your stomach at this moment, or that your heart is racing a million miles per hour. But at the same time, to have unfazed feelings in such a scenario would be completely wrong and repellent. And so to reiterate the point one more time, because emotions flow out of what we care and love, our emotions don't change apart from a change in what we care about or a change in the well-being of what we care about. Okay, so this leads to a, an important nuance we need here. I, I said a moment ago that no amount of willpower is going to make you feel calm in such a scenario when you are rushing to the hospital where your brother might die. And what I'm trying to say here is that perfect faith doesn't mean perfect control over emotions in terrible circumstances, right? It doesn't mean you're going to have perfect control over it. 
And then some people might ask, well, shouldn't it make a difference in my emotions, though, if I'm praying and trusting God in such a terrible circumstance? Shouldn't I be finding peace in the God's sovereign control? And this is an important question, and it's right to ask. And the short answer is, yes, it does make an important difference in our emotions in moments of crisis to remember that God is in control and that he is good. It can and should alter our emotional state to talk to God in prayer about things that are troubling our hearts greatly. But, but, this doesn't mean that our relationship with God flattens out our emotions as if we suddenly don't feel anything anymore. And it doesn't make our emotions any less potent. And I, and I think this is where we often go wrong, right? We think that if we trusted God perfectly, that we wouldn't feel anxiety or fear anymore. But we should immediately know that this isn't true, even as we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who experienced great fear and anxiety. Or Paul, who said he had a deep anxiety for the churches he was ministering to. And so we have to be careful that, that even though we can trust God, that doesn't mean that it makes our fears or emotions go away or flatten us out like a pancake. So as we continue then to think about how our emotions are, are shaped, we need to recognize that what we love deeply shapes how we feel. And the Holy Spirit then is always at work shaping our being. Oh man, I got more to say. This is not going to work. We're going to have to end there. But any, 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 any questions or comments up to this point? Just trying to grasp this point here on the screen. Yeah, yeah, we can talk more about that later. We're going to talk more about the engaging with our hearts in the future here. We're going to get real practical. We've talked a lot about, about emotions, but not so much about how to engage them. And then in the following weeks, we'll, we'll talk about engaging our emotions directly here. And I hope that is very helpful. Uh, but we'll go ahead and pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you again for our emotions. Help us to have a better grasp on what they are and how they can be used to glorify you. Help us, Lord, to change our loves for Christ so that they might be deeper and pure. And help us, Lord, to continue to put away the side, the things of the world and the idols of the world that we are so tempted to worship outside of you. We ask, Lord, that you would bring all of us, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to love you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would empower us toward this end. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.